You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the Fansided Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy weekend. The Minnesota Timberwolves have a home and home against the Utah Jazz on Saturday and Monday. So two consecutive off days on Thursday and Friday. Today's show, we will conclude by previewing that mini two-game home and home series against the Utah Jazz. Of course, the Wolves have not seen the Jazz since game two of the season, way back the Saturday after Christmas when Carl Anthony Towns dislocated his wrist, the Wolves hung on and won and then proceeded to lose a bunch of games in a row following Towns' wrist injury. Uh, but we'll take a peek back at that game, look at what the Jazz have been up to. Obviously, they've been one of the league's best teams throughout the season, and uh, that'll be how we close the show today. First, though, I want to get to a couple of other things. Um, the first thing we'll get to is a a proposed trade by Bleacher Report. So to be clear, this is a fake trade, but it involves a name that uh, was bandied about quite a bit in the offseason regarding the Timberwolves and actually late last season as a potential target for the Wolves. And that's Jeremy Grant. The proposed, uh, you know, the idea by the writer at Bleacher Report, what the Wolves may be able to give up this offseason to land Jeremy Grant. I'll give my reasons why I think it's a really a terrible idea. Um, and that'll be the first thing we do today. And then I want to get into um, some Anthony Edwards numbers over at B-Ball Index. B-Ball Index has an outstanding um, list of metrics and, and statistics that are largely proprietary, and then also some play type numbers from both B-Ball Index and NBA uh, stats.nba.com. I want to look at what is working and what's not for Anthony Edwards. It's some of the same stuff we've talked about before, but how has Edwards' game developed over the past couple of weeks? What are teams doing to slow him down? And what is still not working for him as, as much as he's improved, um, you know, since roughly about the time Chris Finch took over as head coach? What's changed since then? And what can we uh, we look for him to, to do over the rest of the season, the final dozen or so games of his rookie year? Okay, before we get to all that, though, a reminder that you can follow the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. That, of course, includes Apple, as well as Google, Spotify, and the brand new Odyssey app. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves, and also my account is at BBeacon. That's BBeacon, two Bs, two Es, C-K-E-N. Okay, so let's talk about this fake Jeremy Grant trade. So to be clear, it is a fake trade idea. This is Zach Buckley at Bleacher Report. He puts together a bunch of these potential trade articles. It's been a while since we've done this. I mean, obviously, it's you know the deadline was several weeks ago, and uh, you know we haven't talked fake trades in a while. So why not? We're getting closer to the off season. So the idea here is that the Wolves could land Jeremy Grant. So the, setting the stage with Grant, um, he's a player that spent the one year in Denver last year. After a couple of years in Oklahoma City, he was a late bloomer. Started his career in Philadelphia didn't really become like a strong starting caliber player until his year in Oklahoma City. They traded him to Denver. He was a big part of what the Nuggets did last season and was going to enter restricted free agency. The Timberwolves figured to be interested because he's a switchable 6'8 forward that's probably best used as a four, but he can guard threes and fours. Uh, a solid defender, above average defender, certainly an above average, um, average to above average three-point shooter. And the appeal is that he's still improving and he's basically a three and D guy with a little bit more offensive versatility. And so there's a lot of appeal 
to Jeremy Grant. He quickly priced himself out of the Wolves' range in the offseason. There was a rumor I, that the Wolves had had reached out and had made contact with Jeremy Grant. Ultimately, he got three years and $60 million in a sign-in trade between Denver and Detroit. So he went to the Pistons, got his $60 million over three years, and he's had a really good season so far for a bad Pistons team. The Pistons have been a bottom four or five team across the NBA all season. So Jeremy Grant would still be a great fit next to Carl Anthony Towns. There's no question about that. He would be better than Juancho Hernan Gomez. He'd be better today than Jade McDaniels is today. He'd be better than, you know, insert other, you know, Josh Okogie when he played at the four earlier this season, which which was always kind of an ill-fated um, attempt. Um, probably, you know, in most situations, he's better than Nas Reed at the four because he, there's a reason why Nas Reed only plays limited minutes at the four because uh, mostly defensive reasons, almost entirely defensive reasons. And Jeremy Grant can solve some of those or, or fill some of those gaps, I guess. So yeah, acquiring Jeremy Grant would be great. 20 million this year, 20 point, or uh, excuse me, 20 million next year, 20.9 million the year after that. And it's not crazy. I mean, he's, he's, it's maybe a slight overpay, but it's not crazy for a player like Jeremy Grant. So Zach Buckley at Bleacher Report, however, thinks that the Wolves would need to trade the Pistons, Malik Beasley, Jade McDaniels, and actually, if I stopped right there, that would still be too much, right? And the salaries basically work. I think you need a little bit more. So there is a little bit more. Jarrett Culver is added in the deal. But wait, there's more. A 2023 top top seven protected first-round pick, according to Zach Buckley of Bleacher Report. So Beasley, McDaniels, a first-round pick, and Jarrett Culver all for only Jeremy Grant. If that's not insanity, then somebody needs to redefine the word insanity for me. Why would the Timberwolves trade their third best player in Malik Beasley, an exciting young rookie who's already an average at worst defender with with star defender, you know, one-on-one individual defender upside, and frankly, star offensive potential as well in McDaniels, plus a first-round pick, a team that doesn't have a pick this year and or, or, or may not have a pick. It's a top three protected pick and doesn't have a second rounder this year. Why, why would they trade a pick? And Jared Culver, who, well, he's out of the rotation and, and has been a, an absolute disappointment since being the number six overall pick in June of 2019. He's still one of the few players with some upside, likely some trade value. And also the size of his contract is also, uh, it needs to be included basically if the Wolves are going to make any sort of a deal. So as soon as the Wolves make a trade like this, they're done, right? There's no other tradable assets on the roster with salaries of any value except for maybe Ricky Rubio and Wancho Hernan Gomez, who both are expiring contracts after next year, assuming uh, that that Wancho's third year option doesn't get picked up. Those would be really your only other trade assets. So the whole thing makes no sense. Jade McDaniels can already provide a, a pretty good chunk of what Jeremy Grant does at a fraction of the cost with far more upside and more team control. There's still three more years of team control for McDaniels under his rookie contract with options. Grant's only got two years left on his deal after this year. So there's really no angle of this that makes any sense. Would Jeremy Grant in a, today, would Jeremy Grant make the Minnesota Timberwolves better today than Jaden McDaniels? Yes. The answer is yes. If all things are equal and you just swap those guys out next year, would the Wolves win a few more games? I don't even think it'd be a few. Uh, yes, I think they'd win two, three, three more games maybe with Jeremy Grant instead of Jade McDaniels. It's not going to make them a significantly better team. Plus, you're losing Malik Beasley, who's your best three-point shooter outside of Carl Anthony Towns. He's your third best player overall. He's 
arguably your second best offensive player, depending on how you feel about his efficiency and the way he plays versus D'Angelo Russell. It just, there's no angle of this that makes sense. If the Wolves could get Jeremy Grant, that would be outstanding. The problem is, unless unless the Pistons are interested in D'Angelo Russell, you're, you can't do it without trading Malik Beasley. And I mean, you can't also be giving up McDaniels and a first round pick to do it. So I, I don't know what else to say about this other than it makes no sense. Um, I do think the Wolves are going to be talked about a lot in regards to the trade market this offseason. I think Minnesota is going to try and make some noise. I do think Hernan Gomez, Rubio, to a lesser extent, Culver and Josh Kogi all have some trade value. And it would not surprise me to see the Wolves pull something off. I do think they're going to try and get a pick in this year's draft, assuming they don't get to keep their top three protected pick in the first round. They're going to try and get back in in some way, shape, or form. But the the Wolves will make a trade. I just don't think they're going to trade Beasley or McDaniels, much less Beasley and McDaniels and a first round pick all in the same deal for a guy who's, you know, a starting caliber player and would fit nicely next to Towns. But Jeremy Grant's not even a star. He's just like, he's a good starter, right? Um, I could make the argument Malik Beasley is actually a better player than Jeremy Grant and he's getting paid less money. Um, I mean, you could certainly make that argument. So th- anyways, there isn't really much more to say about this other than the Timberwolves are likely going to be active in the trade market. They likely will make some sort of a deal. I just don't think it's a deal of this consequence. I think the Wolves are actually more likely to trade a D'Angelo Russell than they might be a Malik Beasley or Jade McDaniels at this point, honestly. Um, I also I also think this is a conversation for another time that Beasley and uh, McDaniels may have as much or more trade value as D'Angelo Russell given their their requisite contracts, right? I mean, their their value based on what they're being paid. You could, I, I it would not surprise me if Beasley and McDaniel's both had superior trade value to D'Angelo Russell. Okay, um, next up, I want to talk about Anthony Edwards. I want to talk about his offensive profile right now this season, what he's improved upon, what he still needs to improve upon, and what that means moving forward for the Wolves. This year, the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft live. Get insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NFL YouTube page to watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft April 29th through May 1st. All right, let's talk about Anthony Edwards. I, I think he's probably the leader at this point for Rookie of the Year. I've talked a lot about how he's improved. I've been also very critical, if you're a regular listener to the show, I've been critical about Edwards in a vacuum I don't think has been a good player this season. He's been awful defensively. He's been inefficient for the most part on offense. And there's a lot to not like about his shot selection and lack of playmaking and some of those things. However, obviously context matters. And he's a 19-year-old rookie, the number one overall pick. He's had some just unbelievable highlights Every game, there's two or three plays where he just hits the turbo button and has a burst of speed that's that's shocking to watch. Um, so th- there's plenty of context here, and I do think Edwards is is going to be a very good NBA player. So all these things can be true, and, and I think it's fair to evaluate what he's improved upon as the season has gone along, and he has absolutely improved. I mean, Anthony Edwards today versus Anthony Edwards in January, there's no comparison, really. Um, Chris Finch has done wonders for him. Playing with Carl Anthony Towns, no surprise, has done wonders, which he didn't even do much of really early this season either because he was coming off the bench. But now in the lineup with a healthy Towns and with Chris Finch at head coach, We've seen him improve in a lot of different areas. So I want to check in on the B-ball index numbers 
uh, related to uh, play types, but also what he's doing when he's driving to the rim. Um, and we've talked a lot about B-Ball Index or more, uh, before. A reminder that B-Ball Index has innovative data tools and more than 500 player profiles for only five bucks a month or $50 a year. It's bball-index.com. And they have, as I mentioned uh, at the top of the show, they have a number of proprietary statistics and they also compile some great metrics from around the internet. So they have not only their own uh, LeBron metric, but they also have for every player on the profile, they pull RPM from ESPN, they pull Raptor from 538, they pull box plus minus from basketball reference. There's a number of these advanced metrics that are useful tools and to have them all in one spot. And also they assign a percentile to each one is, is super helpful. Um, one of the things I want to, I want to focus on though, is some of their own statistics and they have a whole category on finishing. Um, and Anthony Edwards has been much better of late finishing at the rim. In fact, they're the whole segment of finishing that's adjusted drives, total shots at the rim per 75 possessions, percentage of his rim attempts unassisted and getting to the rim are all a or a minus percentiles. He's been really good in that category. The problem is, is that everybody else knows that, right? All the opposing teams know that. And we're seeing teams defend Anthony Edwards different now than they did in January and February and the first part of March. And rightfully so, right? Teams know that he's dynamic when he gets into the paint and can wreak havoc. So what are they doing? Well, first of all, they're not letting him get into an easy isolation situation. They're trying to muddy things up. They're bringing help defense early. The second thing they're doing is that if Edwards gets past somebody, or I, sh- I should say the second thing they're doing is they're giving him space on the perimeter and daring him to shoot pull-up jumpers. He's shooting roughly 31% on, on pull-up three-point attempts. And while well, he doesn't shoot that many mid-range jumpers, the Wolves have have kind of, uh, you know, I, I guess they've really taken that off his plate in terms of or his menu, I guess, as an option. He he does shoot a ton of pull-up jumpers from three, and he's right around 32% overall from three for the year. In catch-and-shoot situations on three-point attempts, he's 33%. In pull-up jumper situations on three-point attempts, he's 31.4%. So the difference isn't massive, but there is a difference. And typically, the quality of shot he's getting in catch-and-shoot situations is better than a contested pull-up three or a 30-foot three in transition or, or some of these other crazy shots that he occasionally will launch. And so teams are daring him to shoot those pull-up jumpers because 100 times out of 100, the opposing defense would rather have Anthony Edwards shooting a pull-up 28-footer than getting downhill and dunking over guys at the rim and drawing fouls and scoring efficiently that way. So teams are giving him that space, but as soon as Edwards looks like he's going to drive, teams are trying to clog the driving lanes. As he gets into the paint, they're completely collapsing on him. Because they know two things. One, it's going to make it obviously more difficult for him to score. But secondly, they know he's not going to pass out of it. And that's not to suggest that Edwards is anti-passing the ball or he's, he's you know, hogging the ball or, or anything like that, or that he's, uh, you know, uh, refusing to distribute to teammates. It's just he hasn't done it. I mean, he'll do it. And sometimes he tries to force the issue, which is one of the problems he's had in pick and roll game. When he's handling the ball in ball screen action, he sometimes tries to do too much. And that's been an issue at times. But when he gets to into the paint, he doesn't kick the ball back out. According to B-Ball Index, his drive pass out rate, which is percentage of drives leading to a pass to a teammate, is 40th percentile. So 27.6% of the time, a little more than a quarter of the time when he drives into the paint, will he pass the ball out. So one out of every four drives, roughly, he'll kick the ball out to somebody. So fine. Three out of four times, though, teams are going to collapse on him. He's going to be triple teamed at the rim. And if we can avoid committing a foul, we're going to make his life really difficult. And the other one out of four times, 
he's going to pass it to, I don't know, Ricky Rubio or Josh Akogi, right? And then we can live with a 31% chance that we're going to give up a three that at that point still probably still somewhat contested because we trust our defense to rotate out or whatever. Um, so it, that's that's the only way to really defend Anthony Edwards, right? It's to try and get him to take an inefficient shot and then to collapse on him when, when you know he's got a one-track mind and he's going to try and score in the paint. His drive assist rate, which is is maybe a little bit less reliable uh, in terms of really measuring the success of this because that by definition, right? Assist is, is your, it's not a potential assist. You're, you're taking into consideration whether or not your teammate made the shot, but his drive assist rate is 6.7%, which is 43rd percentile that grades out as a C minus according to B-ball index. And his percentage of drives leading to an assist off a pass out to the perimeter is 24.3%, which is 51st percentile. And that's a C. So we're looking at a C, a C minus and a D plus and, and a variety of drive kick out and assist uh, uh, metrics according to B-ball index. And if you watch the Timberwolves regularly, this is not a surprise. Anthony Edwards, when he gets into the paint, is trying to score. He just is. And and, and he should be, right? Um, but because he hasn't shown the ability to to make that quick decision and make the proper decision in most scenarios, teams know that they're in a much better spot if they can't get him to take a pull-up jumper to collapse on him in the paint and force him into a tough situation, put him in a bad way where he's going to have to rely on the officials to make a foul call, which hasn't happened very often, although it's happening more frequently of late. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the way you can slow down Anthony Edwards. And we've seen him be a lot better lately in general, um, as we've talked about, but, but still, the, the drive pass out rate has not improved for Edwards, even though the overall efficiency on offense has. I also think it's notable if you look at his game logs and if you want to look at like his his averages by month, um, Anthony Edwards hasn't necessarily, he's improved in a lot of areas, but he's not passing the ball anymore. He's not generating any more opportunities for teammates now than he was at the start of the season. And, and I, you know, I, I, assist rates one, you know, assist rates a better way to measure this, but it's, it's if you just look at his assist per game. So in January or December and January, when he was only playing 26 minutes a game, he had just entered the starting lineup at the end of January. He was only averaging 1.8 assists per game, but he also wasn't really turning the ball over either. You look at February and he averaged 3.3 assists per game. And that's when he really started to get the playing time and become more comfortable. And then since then, that number's back down to 2.9 assists per game because he's been given this uh, mandate's maybe not the right word, I guess, directive from Chris Finch to just do what you're good at. And Finch was quoted in an article, a Ramona Shelburne article at ESPN on uh, midweek this week, I think on Thursday. And Finch said, look, I told him, do what you're best at. That's get downhill and attack. It's shoot, catch and shoot threes. It's be aggressive offensively. And, and now this is me talking it's when he overthinks things and he's trying to, you know, navigate pick and roll and, and some of those things when he really gets into trouble. And, and we've seen this throughout the season, but his points per possession and ball screen action are not good. I mean, any, uh, you know, pick and roll, uh, pick and roll ball handler, he's 31st percentile 0.75 points per possession because there's so much traffic that he has to, to, to sift through. If he's going to attack, he's got to get through multiple defenders to do it. He's not on an Island and in, in, like he is in ISO and in ISO situations, he's 0.98 points per, per possession, 91st percentile. And it's those situations when he's most successful, when teams, when the wolves can clear the, clear the floor out and let him attack in isolation. Um, the other thing that I want to see the Timberwolves do more of is use Anthony Edwards as a cutter. He scores 1.48 points per possession as a cutter, which is just 
out of this world, 94th percentile. The problem is, and now this is according to NBA uh, stats.nba.com, he's only used as a cutter on 3.8, excuse me, 3.6% of his possessions, 1.48 points per possession, which is again, um, according to B-Ball Index, that's 94th percentile league-wide, but he's only being used as a cutter on 3.6% of possessions. Part of that scheme, uh, and he wasn't used as a cutter. He was he handled the ball and pick and roll a ton when Ryan Saunders was coach. But we're starting to see this more now in Finch's offense, which is spreading the floor out more, letting Towns make decisions, and asking players to cut, to fill open spaces on the floor, to understand spacing and timing on their own. I mean, yeah, the the Wolves run a bunch of basic sets, but then once once the play's in motion and once Towns has the ball in his hands, it's all about cutting at the right time. And we saw the Wolves do this to perfection in the game against Miami that they won a week ago last Friday was there were multiple instances down the stretch where first it was McDaniels, then it was Ricky Rubio. And it was this, this kind of wave of guys, wave after wave of guys that were cutting at just the right time to the front of the rim, to the elbows, and Towns was hitting them with passes in advantageous spots. And Edwards doesn't quite, it doesn't quite click for him at this point, you know, when and how to do that. Uh, When he does, when he does act as a cutter, he's dynamic, he's dangerous, he's fantastic as a, as a cutter. And the Wolves need to find a way to continue to use him in that way. And I think it'll be easier with D'Angelo Russell on the floor and handling the ball more when Malik Beasley eventually gets back, whether that's the end of the season or next year. But if Edwards actually works off the ball a little more often and maybe handles more down the stretch in close games or whatever that might be, Edwards as a cutter, especially early in the game or the middle stages of the game, could be really dangerous and, and help help uh, you know lift up the Wolves' offense quite a bit. Um, so we're going to continue to track all this stuff. Once the season's over, we're going to do an, a, an entire you know series on on you know what play types certain players are better in, and I think Edwards is one of the more fascinating cases because we're seeing him have incremental improvement in some of these areas, but for the most part. These numbers have stayed in terms of pick and roll versus isolation and, and as a cutter have stayed pretty, pretty similar all season long. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how Chris Finch continues to adjust his personnel, um, you know, as he gets to know his team a little bit better. OK, I want to close with a quick Wolves Jazz preview talk about the first game between the two teams way back at the end of December, and then also uh, what the Jazz have been up to lately, injury report, all that good stuff. Uh, Before we do that, though, let's talk about our title sponsor for today's show, and that is Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar of all time, guaranteed. You can take my word for it. It tastes exactly like a candy bar. There's 18 amazing flavors. The best one is coconut brownie chunk, and it's really not that close. But at the same time, I mean, I guess you could go if that's one A tier one B is caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, mint brownie, um, anything with caramel. Those are all just a half step below that one, I guess. Um, I mean, they're all fantastic. Every single one's covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew. If you're health conscious, they're perfect. They can help you lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. Every single built bar is low calorie, low sugar, high protein and high fiber. And if you're on a keto diet, they are also a perfect fit for that. Um, right now, you can go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Don't miss out. Actually place another order today. Um, that'll be here very shortly and I can't wait. Again, it's LOCKED15 is the promo code. You'll get 15% off your next order.
Right now through April 26th, listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey featuring analysis from NFL experts Michael Irvin, Jason Lockenfora, and Brian Baldinger, our local experts for every team making trades and picking the next stars of their team. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the all-new Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Okay, let's talk Wolves-Jazz. So the last time the Wolves and Jazz faced off was December 26th, the day after Christmas Day. And the Timberwolves were were 1-0 coming into the game. They'd beaten Detroit in an ugly opening night game. The uh, Jazz had just blown out the Blazers by 20 in op- on opening night. And this was, I mean, this was going to be a tough game, right? Um, it was not expected to be a win for the Timberwolves. At the time, they were healthy. They had Russell. They had Towns. They had Malik Beasley. This was a fantastic game. Minnesota won by five. They hung on late. Carl Anthony Towns crashed to the floor after a collision with Rudy Gobert, ended up with the subluxation in his left wrist, which was apparently a different injury, but to the same wrist that he uh, had surgery on last spring that shut down his season in uh, in 2020 um, prior to the COVID uh, season suspension. Um, so Towns only played 30 minutes in this game because of the injury down the stretch, although he did come back in briefly. And... Uh, the Wolves managed to hang on in this one. Uh, Towns had 16 and 12 and was only six of 19 shooting, only made one three. It wasn't his best game. Malik Beasley had 18 points, but it took him 17 shots to do it. D'Angelo Russell had 25 on 21 shots. Off the bench, though, Anthony Edwards in his second career game had 18 points on eight of 12 shooting. It was really good. Jarrett Culver was fantastic in this game, had 14 and six in 20 minutes, and uh, he hit all three of his threes. Remember how good he was the first like week of the season? Um, so this was just kind of a weird game if you go back and look at that box score. And the Jazz, for their part, the Wolves actually did a pretty good job on Donovan Mitchell. They held him to 21 points on 23 shots, two of nine on threes. And uh, Mike Conley had 20 points. Rudy Gobert had 18 and 16. Him and Towns are always, uh, it's always a good battle. Jordan Clarkson was great off the bench, had 23. And this was just fun. I mean, the Wolves hung on down the stretch. And well, it had this, there was this dark cloud of Towns injury hanging over the game. It was fun in the moment, and the Wolves went to 2-0. Of course, we all know what happened next. The Timberwolves proceeded to drop seven consecutive games. Of course, Towns didn't play in any of those games. Uh, I guess the last one he did. So they lost six in a row. Towns came back. They lost the overtime game to the Spurs. Won one game, lost four more. They had multiple 40-point deficits, multiple 25-plus point losses, and the Wolves, all told, lost 10 of 11 games, and that was basically the season. They were 3-11 and 11 before they started to right the ship in any way, shape, or form. Um, and then, of course, in the middle there, there was the the COVID uh, outbreaks, maybe a strong word, but Towns testing positive for COVID-19, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Rubio missing a couple of games due to exposure uh, to, to COVID. Um, and that was just kind of the beginning of the end shortly after this win against the Jazz. So the last, I guess the, the other way to say this is the last time these teams faced off was the last time everybody felt really good about the Timberwolves. Um, since then, the Jazz have been fantastic. Everyone knew they were going to be good. They've been much better than expected. They're still in first in the Western Conference. They're 44 and 15. At one point this season, they were 15 and four, they were 24 and 5. They were 38 and 11. And now they sit at 44 and 15. They've won four of their last five. They did lose an overtime game to the Lakers and outside of a blip against the Wizards a couple of weeks ago. They've continued to be quite strong. They had a nine-game winning streak from mid-March into early April. And it's just been kind of a season-long. They've just been great. They've only lost two in a row twice and never have lost 
uh, three in a row. Actually, they've lost two in a row three times. They haven't lost three in a row all season. Um, so they're coming off a win over Houston on Wednesday. They are also on two days rest, just like the Timberwolves. So they have Thursday and Friday off. We'll play at home against Minnesota after a three-game road trip. And then they go to Minnesota for Monday night's game, which is the start of another three-game road trip for the Jazz. So this is the one home game in a stretch of six of seven road games for Utah. Um, And they've been a top five offensive team in terms of offensive rating, top five defensive team all season. Um, And, you know, Donovan Mitchell obviously is fantastic. Everybody knows that. Rudy Gobert, same thing. Mike Conley's been awesome, um, has really bounced back in, in his age 33 season too, but he's been relatively healthy and has been really, really good for this team. And, and I know a lot of people shortly after the Jazz got him were worried about him being on the wrong side of 30 and, you know, is he really going to be the right fit? He's been really good this year for them. Jordan Clarkson's been dynamic um, coming off the bench for this team. Um, you know, he's played in, in 55 of their 58 games so far. They've got enough defenders. They're their top, top five defensive team as well. Um, Derek favors, the addition of Derek favors has been huge. Joe Ingles has been consistently great. Um, and there really isn't anything that this team doesn't do well. They're actually first in three point attempts and makes per game. They're third in three point percentage in the NBA. They're also number one in rebounds per game. They're top 10 in defensive rebounding percentage, top five in offensive rebounding percentage. Um, really everything. I mean, the only thing that they're that they're near the bottom of the league in really is two-point attempts because they shoot so many threes and they get to the free throw line so often. And that's a recipe to be the fourth best team in terms of offensive rating league-wide. They're first in three-point attempts per game, last in two-point attempts per game, and 10th uh, in free throws made 12th and free throws attempted per game. Uh, it's just a really well-rounded, well-coached team. And the Timberwolves are going to have, uh, this is, this is probably the understatement of the century. Their work cut out for them. Now, of course, Donovan Mitchell's out. Um, I should have mentioned that a minute, you know, it was a week ago at this point that he, uh, he sprained his ankle and hasn't played. Um, but the jazz have of course won this week. They beat the Lakers and they beat, uh, Houston. So, even without Donovan Mitchell, the Jazz are a dynamic team and the Timberwolves, a relatively healthy Timberwolves team, albeit without Malik Beasley, is definitely going to have their hands full. Um, the Wolves, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, are a miserable rebounding team. And against the Jazz, that's a problem. The Wolves also can't guard the three-point line. They're allowing, since the All-Star break, they're allowing about 44%. It's like 43.7% opponents to shoot that well from beyond the arc. That's insane. I mean, that's like, that's like a prime JJ Redick from outside the arc, um, every night and Sacramento has been terrible outside the arc this season. And they, they shot the lights out against Minnesota and their win over the wolves on Wednesday. So that's a recipe for disaster when you're going to go up against Joe Ingles and you're going to go up against, uh, you know, Mike Conley, who's shooting 41% on threes this year, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. I mean, I, what do you, what are you going to do? Um, if these guys are going to shoot 38, 39, 40% normally, but the Wolves are giving up a rate even higher than that, it, it could be really ugly pretty quickly, I guess, is, is, is one way to say it. On the other hand, Towns and Russell together, when they play, the Wolves are six and six. They've only been blown out once. Um, and that was actually the Clippers game just last week. Every other game has been under two, two possessions or less. Um, they lost the one game to Memphis that they were up 18 in the fourth quarter. They blew a big lead against Sacramento the other night. They easily, I mean, that six and six could very easily be, you know, nine and three, very easily. There's only been one blowout in that group of, of games, of those 12 games. So the Wolves have been consistently competitive with Russell and Towns on the court together. Again, only missing Malik Beasley out with the hamstring. 
likely missing Jalen Noel again, but otherwise healthy and for the most part playing much, much better of late. So, you know, I don't realistically are the Wolves going to beat the Jazz on Saturday night? It's pretty unlikely, but I would think they give them a run for their money in at least one of these two games, uh, you know, whether it's uh, in Utah on Saturday or at Minnesota on Monday night. It wouldn't shock me if they won one of these, especially if the, if Donovan Mitchell doesn't play. And I don't think he's expected to play in either game. The Wolves should have a shot at, at pulling out one of these uh, because with Towns and Russell, they're they're a genuinely um, solid offensive team and they've been okay on defense um, in stretches. So I think they've got a, got a shot if they can catch the Jazz minus Mitchell and maybe a little bit road weary as well, playing six of seven on the road. Um, so of course, we'll be back on Saturday morning with a postgame pod or excuse me, Sunday morning with the postgame pod following Saturday night's game. And of course, we'll be back starting next week, Monday through Friday, daily shows once again. So be sure you're following the show. If you're not already, you can follow, subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. That includes iTunes. It includes Google, Spotify, the all new Odyssey app. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T-Wolves. It's at Lockdown T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. And also at B-Beacon. That's B-Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. If you do listen on Apple, please help us out with a review. That definitely helps us get in front of more folks and uh, helps that rating creep upwards just a bit on iTunes. So that would be greatly appreciated um, if, if you're able to do that. All right, that's all we have for you today. Thanks once again for listening to the Lockdown Wolves podcast. Of course, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. A reminder that today's show was brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. Thanks for listening. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Have a great weekend.